Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a segment about the idiom about bad apples, another segment about the difference between a couple and a few of something, and a familect story about Scooby-Doo. I've been hearing people talk about bad apples a lot lately, so it seems like a good time to look at this idiom, what it means, and where it came from. And along the way, I also found some surprising history about the word apple itself. First, we've been hearing about bad apples because it's a way that people try to say a problem isn't widespread. For example, when a police officer is caught doing something horrible, people who defend the police department often say that one officer was just a bad apple, or sometimes a rotten apple. And if a few more police officers are caught violating people's rights, defenders might broaden their defense to say it's just a few bad apples, implying that most of the officers are still good. It's a troublesome phrase to use in that context, though, at least historically, because the full idiom has a second part about spoiling the whole bunch. It usually goes something like, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, or a few bad apples spoil the whole barrel. So instead of suggesting that one bad apple is an isolated problem, the idiom means that if you consistently have bad apples hanging around, the problem is going to spread. Some sources say the proverb started with Chaucer, who, in the cook's tale, had a character say, quote, It's better to take the rotten apple out of the bag than to have it rot all the other apples, unquote. The cook's tale was written sometime between the years 1387 and 1400. But the character who says that line says he's quoting a proverb, so it's likely the saying was in use before then. In fact, the Oxford English Dictionary has the earliest English use of rotten apple to mean a bad person who has the potential to corrupt others, appearing in the year 1340 in a book called Iron Bite of Inwit. That book was a commentary on Christian morality, and it was actually a translation from a book written in French that was published in the late 1200s. But no matter the exact date, we can say with confidence that the saying is quite old. And it's old because it's true from a farming and produce perspective. Today, we can just buy a few fresh apples from the store every week. But back in the 1200s, people had to store all the apples from their harvest. And they knew that leaving a moldy apple in the barrel would make the others get moldy faster. And today, we also know that apples release a gas called ethylene that makes fruit ripen faster. If you want your avocados to ripen faster, put them in a bag with an apple. So an overripe or decaying apple will make all the other apples in the barrel ripen faster too. Not good if you want to keep them in storage as long as possible. 
Farmers knew that they needed to get rid of the bad apples as fast as possible. Next, here's something that will surprise you about the word apple. Originally, it wasn't limited to what we think of as an apple today. Instead, in Old English, an apple was any round, firm fruit that grew on a tree. For example, it could be what today we call an apple, an orange, or even a pomegranate. According to Edam Online, in Middle English, apple was, quote, a generic term for all fruit other than berries, but including nuts, unquote. Dates were called finger apples, and bananas were called apples of paradise, for example. It made me think about words for color, which we talked about a couple of years ago, and how those words also started out covering broad categories and then became more narrow, like how white used to mean what we think of as white today, but it also included the colors gray and silver and yellow. So, to sum up, if you're reading a document from Old English or Middle English, don't assume that an apple is what we think of as an apple today. And if you're going to talk about bad apples, remember that the whole saying is that a few bad apples spoil the whole bunch. One of our listeners recently wrote in wondering about the proper way to describe quantities. She said that her sixth-grade English teacher had taught her that a few means one or two, and that several means three or more. However, following this rule, she sent a work colleague into a panic. She told him that a project would be ready in a few days. She meant it would be done in a day or two. But he interpreted it, in her words, as an ambiguous brush-off. He assumed she was saying she wouldn't meet her deadline. After they sorted out the confusion, he suggested that if she really meant one or two days, she should have said in a couple of days, not in a few. He thought that a couple meant a small number of things, like no more than five, but that a few could mean anything from three to ten. At this point in the conversation, they realized their opinions were far apart, and they decided to write to Grammar Girl for help, so thank you for the vote of confidence. But unfortunately, there's no straight answer to this question. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and Oxford English Dictionary, few means consisting of a small number, but what a small number is isn't clear. Several means an indefinite number more than two, and fewer than many. The more than two part is helpful, but how many things are in many? And couple is listed as meaning two, which is how I always thought of it. But to confuse matters, a couple is also shown as being a synonym of a few. And if you think about how a couple is used in conversation, that definition makes sense. For example, if someone asks you how many donuts you want and you say a couple, you would expect to get two. But if you're running to get some coffee to eat with those donuts and you say, I'll be back in a couple of minutes, no one really expects you to be back in two minutes flat. They understand that you mean something like, I'll be back soon. So here's your quick and dirty tip. Words like a few, several, some, a couple, and many— give a very general sense of quantity. It's fine to use them when precision isn't important. But when the timing or quantity is critical, specify an actual number. 
If you need an assignment back in two hours, say you need it in two hours rather than I need this back soon or even I need this back in a couple of hours. If you need six avocados to make guacamole, say please get me six avocados instead of please get me several avocados. Your colleagues will appreciate the clarity and you'll get exactly what you need. That's a specific, not a general, win-win for everyone. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Finally, I have a great FamilyEct story from Sam in D.C. Hello, Mignon. This is Sam the Hammer Humphreys, uh, Patrick L.E., who has excellent taste because he's uh, a fan of mine and a fan of yours, called me because of a story he heard me tell on DC Daily, which is a a TV show I co-host. And he said that I just had to call and tell you because you collect stories like this. So I'm pleased to add it to your collection. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, a young kid, I loved Scooby-Doo. It was kind of like just my world or maybe all I knew about the world. I would have been five years old or younger. Um, so I was, I was old enough to watch Scooby-Doo, but not old enough to tell time or to understand really the value of a minute or an hour. Um, but, I, but I knew Scooby-Doo really, really well. I knew Scooby-Doo so well that instead of my mom, instead of saying something was going to take a half an hour, she would tell me it was going to take one Scooby-Doo, like the length of one episode of Scooby-Doo. So if I was to be like, well, how long until uh, Brandon comes over to play? She'd be like two Scooby-Doo's from now. And that was how I learned the value. The, the It's not the metric system of time. No, it would be the the uh, imperial Scooby-Doo of time. That's how I learned. Anyway, thank you very much. Good luck with the show. Uh, It seems you're doing great. Take care. Thanks, Sam. I love that so much. I literally laughed out loud. And my husband also loved it and suggested that we should call this unit of measure Zoinks Time. (laughs) If you'd like to share your familect story, the story of a word or phrase your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail like Sam did at 83-321-4-GIRL, and you might hear it on the show. And be sure to tell me the story behind the word, because that's always the best part. And also thanks to Lee in Dallas, who called in with a story about his family who recently got street addresses in Arkansas, and he thinks it wasn't to help deliver mail, but it was to help first responders find houses, and then mail delivery came about as a side benefit. It was an interesting story in following up to the zip code episodes. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles at the home of my network, quickanddirtytips.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl. And if you're looking to work some micro-learning into your day, check out my Better Writing course on LinkedIn Learning. It's made up of 17 short videos that you can watch one at a time while you're drinking your morning coffee. Thanks to my editor, Karen Hertzberg, and my producer, Nathan Sims. And that's all. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.